WTF, you're on the series What the Future. What the Future aims to dive deep into hot topics that you, the youth, may be scratching your heads about. Basically, we ask tough questions so you don't have to. What the... Hi everyone, Jermaine and Avery here with you and welcome back to another episode of WTF, What, what the, the Future. What the Future is a podcast series brought to you by the National Youth Council's Asia Ready Exposure Program, brought to you in partnership with the Singapore Institute of International Affairs. Today's topic is something that I think the two of us uh, have spoken about before. Yes. Sustainability. Sustainability is the buzzword, right? I think in recent years, a lot of people have been saying, you know, you need to be more sustainable, mm. climate change, save the world, global warming. If not, well, the world's going to end. So what is your personal view on sustainability, G? Well, I think sustainability is something that a lot of people perceive to be, mm. oh, I have to change my whole life, you know? Yes. I have to go from zero to 100. But that's not really the case, in my opinion. I think if everyone takes a small step towards sustainability, mm. that makes an impact as well, right? Yeah, I think every small thing that you do really plays a big part in that as well. Um, myself, personally, you know that I do this beach cleanups, you know? I, oh, I, yes. I, I take my time to do that sometimes yeah. when I find the time and the discipline mm -hmm. to do it. But I feel like it's all these small little steps, you know, your own sustainability habits in your daily life that actually make a bit of a difference. Yeah, like something as simple as not using a single-use cutlery mm. and bringing your own um, perhaps reusable cutlery that we always do in the office. Yes. Actually, we have our own sets mm -hmm. or even uh, disposable straws, recycling. All these are acts of sustainability. Um, but we can't claim to be experts on sustainability. Far from it. How it affects the youth, how mm -hmm. it affects Singaporeans. But Thankfully, we have two experts in the studio with us today. Our first guest speaker is Mr. Law Yong, Director of Policy and Planning at the Energy Market Authority, the EMA. Thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Law. Hey, thanks. Yes. Uh, so tell us a bit more about the EMA. So the EMA is both the regulator and industry developer for the energy sector. So in essence, we are the MATA. We, we look after <laughs> the, the energy companies in Singapore. We make sure they play ball, follow the rules. But at the same time, we work with the industry to really develop the sector to try and push uh, sustainability and other measures, security, etc. within Singapore. Ah, so you're a regulatory authority. Yes, but oh. also an industry development as well. Oh. So we're both partners as well as the policemen. So who do you police? The, the big companies, basically? We mainly deal with the big energy companies, so the power generation companies, the retailers who uh, sell your electricity packages to consumers. Yeah. Mm. So those are the ones that we generally deal with, but we deal with an assortment of companies. So our second expert joining us here in the studio today is the Director of Global ESG Strategy and Engagement at S&P Global, Ms. Cheryl Chen. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Jermaine okay. Avery. Tell us a bit more about the strategies uh, that S&P Global are working on at the moment. Firstly, about S&P Global, we are a financial data analytics company. Oh. We have a credit ratings division. Uh, we also run the S&P 500 and other market indices, and we provide financial and market data to you know, the investors and, you know, financial market participants. Mm. So for us, we do have a net zero commitment. We publish our annual sustainability report for more than 10 years now. And we try to work with a wide variety of internal stakeholders to walk the talk on ESG. Oh, okay. So I think before we go into a topic, right, what I would like to ask is when we talk about energy, we hear a lot of, you know, very um, similar words. Like you said, net zero, we hear clean energy, we hear sustainability. If we talk about energy as a whole here in Singapore, and to the youth, what would you what would be your take on it? Mm, I mean, energy powers everything around us, right? Our homes, our offices, our schools, oh, our iPads, <laughs> computers. 
Um, and, you know, when I'm first learning about sustainability, there's always this food, energy, water nexus. Okay. Which is really interesting. I mean, it's it really explains why the current high energy prices leads to increased price of food because you need energy, you run your farm, you need to transport food, and that leads to increased food prices if your energy price increase. Mm. And water as well. Water is needed for food. Energy is needed to treat water. And there's all these intricacies between water, food, and energy, right? So this is the reason why the current high energy prices is causing disruptions because it has all these linkages to the other parts of essentials and goods and services. Absolutely. What yeah. about you, uh, Guillaume? What do you think about energy in Singapore? I think it's important. If you imagine our entire lifestyle today, modern lifestyle is built on fossil fuels. You know, everything that we do, everything we have is built on energy. And now we're transiting away from fossil fuels to something that is cleaner, uh, hopefully more sustainable, and affects our day-to-day -day life, really, as what Cheryl's mentioned. Uh, my household of four people, we have three laptops, two, two iPads, a handphone for me and my wife. So our entire lifestyle revolves around technology, and technology relies around energy. So this is really, how can we maintain the current lifestyle, yet having a much more sustainable way of achieving this is important for us. Yeah, I think everyone's talking about energy these days, mm. right? And I think it's good to have a better understanding of it, especially for the youth, because it affects their future as well. I mean, we're, we're a bit older than that. So, a bit, slightly. <laughs> slightly, slightly, slightly older I'm than still, that. Still, youth, still, 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 youth, youth. Yeah. still youthful, right? <laughs> um, but I think one of the biggest things that happened this past year mm. is actually the Russia-Ukraine war. Mm -hmm. Now, we've heard that this has some impacts on energy, but we don't exactly know how that affects you know, energy. Can anyone of you speak yeah. on that? I think to put it in broad terms, right? I mean, Russia is one of the largest exporter of oil um, and LNG. And when... The war happened, there were sanctions, there were import bans, and then supply dropped. And when supply dropped, there isn't sort of ready, you know, alternative sources, right? Or existing sources who are able to ramp up production so quickly. So prices spike. Um, and Europe is heavily reliant on, you know, fossil fuels from Russia. Some of them have imposed import bans as well. So with that, it really caused this supply and demand sort of mismatch, and then prices will start to spike. Um, and there are positive and negatives. You know, on the negative side of the house, people start to have a wake-up call, right? We are over-reliant, to Guillaume's point, on fossil fuels still, when we are supposed to transit to a low-carbon economy. We are over-reliant on certain large exporters. And all these really rings the bell that we need to diversify both the energy mix to cleaner energy sources, and also the sauce mix, right? Yeah, so speaking on things like, you know, positives and negative, we know that the energy crisis has been happening because of this war in Ukraine. Do you think, Yong, that it's helped or hindered the global energy transition into, you know, renewable energy? Has it really hindered it or do you think it's helped it a little bit? It has both positives and negatives. So the negative is that uh, there's some backsliding. People have resorted back into using more fossil fuels because energy security is ultimately extremely important as well. You don't want to uh, move towards a more cleaner transition, but you have people freezing in their homes yeah. right during winter or have not enough electricity. So that's important. However, this has also uh, triggered in additional investments, both from the public and the private sector, governments as well as companies, to really push uh, and invest in new technologies, uh, advance the development of uh, technologies that may potentially help us to uh, spread up this, uh, speed up the transition and also to actually build and deploy more of these technologies. 
Mm-hmm. Talking a little bit about Singapore, so we do not import gas from Russia. So you would think, oh, so then we, we, we're covered, right? No problem for us. Uh, but the truth is that uh, the gas market in the world is a global market. Mm-hmm. People are buying from different sources. And when Europe is, has less gas from Russia, they buy from different sources and they're competing with Singapore for these same sources of gas. Mm-hmm. And this is pushing up prices and therefore you can see the impact on energy prices in Singapore, even though we're not directly importing any electricity or any gas from Russia. Where do we then, Singapore, stand in this transition? Right? I mean, we're so small, you wouldn't think we would have an impact or a footprint on the global energy crisis. But where do we stand? It's true. We, I think Singapore, uh, we only produce maybe 0.011% of our carbon emissions, if I remember the number correctly. 0.11%, right? Yes, 0.11%. Exactly. It's a really, really small number. I mean, okay. And Singapore's a small, dot, small red dot, right? So, uh, as an actual contributor of emissions, we are very low, right? But we are seen as almost a bellwether uh, for uh, developing as well as developed countries. So we are, if Singapore can do it, then other countries will, will take the lead. And if we can't do it, then they'll, take the, they'll say that, oh, if Singapore can't do it, then why, how can any other country, you know, developing countries, even stand a chance? Mm-hmm. So Singapore uh, has this role as a, a global leader. We're doing a lot. Uh, we're trying our best to do as much as we can within our natural constraints. Because Singapore, we don't have any natural resources. Yeah. We import almost all of energy. Uh, 95% of natural gas uh, into Singapore. So we're really relying on fossil fuels and it's a difficult transition for Singapore. And so if Singapore is able to do it, then this shows that actually it's really doable around the world where many countries have much more natural resources they can tap on. A lot of people talk about um, net zero, net zero emissions, right? And Singapore has actually announced that we aim to achieve net zero emissions by the year 2050. So if you're saying that our carbon emission is 0.11%, net zero, does that mean 0%? So the aim is uh, for net zero is that basically Singapore in, on aggregate produces zero emissions. It doesn't mean that we don't produce any emissions, but there's some negative as well. So you can extract, if you're able to extract oh. uh, carbon emissions from the environment as well, that's a negative. And so plus minus, you add off and then we get net zero emissions from Singapore. But we're so land scarce. How are we going to take back the emissions? How are we going to have the infrastructure? There are sort of creative solutions uh, last year, the Tengah largest floating solar PV farm was launched, right? Oh, I actually saw that mm. at yeah. Tengah. That was like 120,000 solar panels, like 45 like football field sized. And that can power, I think, what, 16,000 in HDB homes in a year. Wow. Um, and it's floating solar farms on the Tengah Reservoir. You know, these innovative solutions and ideas really, you know, kind of help us transcend our constraints and challenges, right? I've got a question about solar panels. Mm. How much energy can a solar panel actually produce? Oh. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) You put it on the spot. Is there like an actual number to calculate it? Or like an an estimate, right? Okay. Uh, Darius, I don't have the actual uh, number, but... Essentially, a solar panel produces about four hours worth of energy on total over a day. And in terms of the land footprint, uh, solar is about 600 times uh, less dense than a turbine, Mm -hmm. which is why we have this problem that ultimately as much as solar is the most sustainable and most uh, viable renewable resource in Singapore, we can't run totally on solar Mm -hmm. because it only powers us during the day and also because it requires a lot of land, and ultimately Singapore is land scarce, and we are not able to put enough solar panels to power the entire of Singapore. Mm. So what other sources then? Because I don't, I mean, if you think about, apart from solar energy, the rest that I know, maybe nuclear energy. Wind. Uh, wind, yeah. Well, but, but we can't have nuclear yeah. energy here in Singapore, can we? Yeah. 
So the EMA, we laid out what we call the energy story for Singapore. Mm-hmm. And that uh, really talked about the four switches that we think uh, will be able to power Singapore over the long run. So the first one is natural gas, which we talked about. Mm-hmm. It is a fossil fuel, but it's the cleanest fossil fuel there is today. And today we already we run on 95%. Uh, over time, we will want to reduce our reliance on natural gas, but it's going to be a transition. So we're likely to continue to rely on this for next 10, 20 years or so. So it's important that we continue to have secure energy that will continue to you know, maintain our lifestyles and power our companies in Singapore. The second switch is solar. We talked about it. It's our most viable renewable resource. But ultimately, there's a limit. We, we estimate that even by 2050, we can get at, at most 10%, if not less than that, of, of Singapore's total needs through solar. So that's really only a small fraction of what we really consume on a day-to-day basis. The third one that we are working actively on is what we call regional power grids. So actually drawing uh, energy, not just from Singapore, but around the region. We buy water from uh, Malaysia, so possibly we buy electricity, we buy natural gas from them as well, right? And this will potentially use propose up to 30% of our total needs. The fourth one is what we call low carbon alternatives. And this is what uh, Cheryl talked about. We are taking a step of faith into the future in terms of what are possible. And we're relying on technologies that will continue to somewhat nascent today, but hopefully will mature as time goes along and we'll be able to deploy them in Singapore. Mm. The big one which is we talked about is yes. Exactly. So we have a national hydrogen strategy. We are pushing towards this uh, technology today. It's available, but it's extremely expensive. Uh, So if you use natural hydrogen today, we could probably pay three, four times the prices that we pay today. Right. So it's really expensive today. But there's a momentum. Uh, A lot of countries are seeing this as a possible way for them to decarbonize their power sectors. How has Singapore approached this over the last few years, this regional collaboration? I think we have really seen a strong, I think, uptick, right, in terms of awareness that there is untapped opportunities, Mm. right? Sustainability, obviously, the climate change and energy transition, it's a huge risk, but it's also a huge business and green market opportunity, right? And I think in the last five, three years, we do see our neighbouring countries, you know, Laos, Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, they are realising that they can tap into the green energy market as well. They have the land, they have the natural conditions which are, you know, they can deploy solar farms, they can potentially tap on hydro, or there's a lot of hydro dams in Laos, for example. Um, They can tap on wind energy. And collaboration is really bringing our value to the table, right? There are some countries that has the land and the natural resources, but maybe not so strong in terms of capital and funding. And then there are some countries that have capital and funding, but maybe we don't have the land or, you know, the natural resources. Mm. And it's really coming together, right? Bringing our expertise, our experience, the markets and the systems. And it's really about, to Guillaume's point, how can we make the pie bigger for everybody? I think I bring it back to the youth again. Um, as we as they grow older, right, we are kind of old already, but as they grow older, right, they are looking for job opportunities. And from mm-hmm. what I know, um, there's an aim to create 50,000 green jobs in Singapore by mm. 2030, right? Mm. So how is this kind of something that youth can look forward to? And what are these green jobs exactly? I think Cheryl touched about it right at the beginning that really sustainability is something that's growing uh, as a skill set that's not just within... Uh, sustainability uh, sector, for example, but it cuts across many sectors. Uh, So there's a lot of uh, work on energy efficiency uh, that can cut across any kind of industry. Uh, We have specialised in terms of, uh, you know, technologies that we are deploying on the energy side, for example, like uh, hydrogen, etc. You can build uh, skill sets in that area. 
uh, carbon credits, uh, carbon trading. It's a whole the finance sector. It's a growing area that we are we are looking into how we can grow the Singapore economy in that front as well, and there are jobs uh, on that front as well. So there's really a, a wide spectrum of jobs that are available. What is of course missing is there's a lack of skill sets uh, mm-hmm. within the manpower today. So even from like the on the electric sector. You may be very used to doing wiring in your houses, but do you know how to wire a solar panel? Oh. You, know, you know, some not everybody uh, is well experienced with this, and we need to ramp up the skills so everybody's able to be familiar with such new technologies. When you consider these skills, um, green skills, is that what it, what it's categorized under? Like being able to fix a solar panel and stuff like that. Are those considered green skills? I have colleagues in my EME who are working on uh, developing what uh, new frameworks are for green jobs, etc. Mm. So there's a range of different skills that uh, are required and it range uh, both from technical to more your marketing mm. to uh, other kind of skill sets as well. So those will be included mm. as some of the skills, but I think that is only a fraction of the different skill sets that we're looking at. I think there's a range of different things that we can look yeah. into. There's so many different roles, right? If you mm-hmm. think about mm. in, in any other industry, it's just that these roles are in the green industry. So because of that, they are considered green skills because you need a certain level of knowledge um, and, and understanding of the green sector yep. in order to even do, let's say something like marketing for the green sector. You need to know what it is, what your problems are, who your audience mm-hmm. is. So mm-hmm. um, for the youth, you know, if you're looking for jobs, perhaps in the green sector, I think that will be the hot sector for the next decade or so. I mean, you can check it out, right? See what's online, um, check with your schools or higher institutes of learning to see what kind of opportunities there may be for you or even check out the um, Asia Ready Exposure Program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To add on to Jermaine's point, it's not just green jobs per se, like a narrow focus lens, right? But really a wide-angle lens to make sustainability sustainable. I think we need <laughs> yeah. to decentralise it. We need to integrate it into as many things everywhere all the time. Mm. And we have all these different jobs. You know, I layers with colleagues in finance. They are helping us to price climate risk. I'm working with colleagues in procurement. They are helping us to look at our scope three emissions in our supply chain and sustainable procurement. I'm, you know, liaising with colleagues in uh, our global real estate on how we choose between which green building to, you know, consolidate our staff in. So all these roles was wasn't as big a role, say, you know, three to five years back. But now you are seeing more and more of these, you know, sustainable finance. Uh, You're seeing more and more of these um, sustainability integrated roles, but not in the corporate sustainability team, but they are in operations, they are in procurement, they are in, you know, research, they are in tech, in, you know, marketing, in social media, um, so there are all these different, I would say, interesting synergies between different domains and sustainability. Mm. If the youth maybe are in, in a school or in a company, in an internship, and it's not a green transitioning company, right? But they themselves want to be like, you know, I want to do something in my daily life that can help this green transition to help sustainability. What would be a few of these things that you would tell the youth, you know, start here, start small, you know, and it will make a difference, even if you don't think it is? I, I think to Jermaine's point is really, I think, walking the talk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think many a times it's not a knowledge gap. We already know what to do, right? Use a reusable bag, use a water bottle, uh, set your aircon to 24 degrees Celsius, <laughs> eat less meat, consume yeah. less, buy less, take public transport. And the goal is really not to be perfect, like do all of the above or nothing. It's really to do what 
you can and to advocate others to follow the same, right? Inspire your family members, you know, parents, akoama, to do the same as well. Any other, you know, um, kind of like last words that you would love to tell a youth out there about you know, being sustainable or maybe growing into a sustainable career? I would say the opportunities are unprecedented in, in the space, right? And sustainability and sustainable development is both, I would say, the biggest risk, biggest threat, but also the biggest opportunity uh, of our generation, right? And it is to find ways to have your niche in sustainability such a broad area. Uh, you don't have to be a, a green job per se, but where you are, who you are, what you're doing, you can integrate sustainability and make sustainable choices, even in your work life or in your day-to-day -day life. I think uh, for a lot of youth, they may think that it's something really difficult and they're too young and they, you know, they can't uh, maybe you to rely on you know, the adults, etc. to do some of this. Uh, but I've been to some of the universities or even uh, junior colleges, etc., and the people that some of them are really well educated, really really know their stuff. So if you want to, you really can actually uh, learn the, the things, uh, understand them well, and then change your lifestyle, change the way you work, change the companies that you work in, and hopefully that will drive uh, drive kind of real sustainable change in the world. I think for me, it's a situation of like you know, kind of a give and take. Like you said, you know, it's not it's practically impossible to say, you know, I am sustainable at a 100% rate. Mm -hmm. You know, like we try our best to take public transport. We try our best to, you know, put the aircon at 24 degrees mm -hmm. and stuff like that. All these Actually, little... to me, I think it, it's so much more than that, right? I mean, but, that, that's a first step mm. for sure. But after, you know, hearing from Sharon and Guillaume, I feel like sustainability, like she said, it's unprecedented times. This is the time to take action. It's now or never, mm -hmm. yeah, essentially. But I just want to give a big thanks to Cheryl as well as Guillaume for Thank coming you. here, spending your You're time here, joined. yeah, and sharing with us um, from your own like field of work and from your own expertise what sustainability really is. Yeah, I think it was very insightful. Now I think Jermaine knows how to properly recycle. Hey! Yeah. <laughs> now next week, we're actually going to be touching on global geopolitics. Ooh, sounds very, very chim already. It is very chim. I can't even tell you what it is right now. But <laughs> thankfully, we have experts joining us and they have spent their careers understanding how power relations and economic interests amongst countries can affect our everyday lives. Yes, but thank you so much for joining us today on another episode of WTF, What, what the, the Future. Make sure that you go on over to NYC's Facebook and Instagram, leave your comments and let us know whether or not you think Jermaine knows how to recycle now. I know how to recycle. I don't and think so. you can't recycle receipts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know that. Um, you can also learn about what's happening in the region and sign up for related events by visiting the Asia Ready resource page. It's youthtopia.sg. It's a first stop portal for the latest news, topics and resources that matter to the youths. We'll catch you next week. Bye! Bye.